After 32 years, I came out of the closet as a gay Christian pastor. Finally, on the outside of that suffocating prison, I'm looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. It's not enough to become informed. We have to do something about the harm we're still witnessing within systems and spaces we've been loyal to for so long. It's time we become reformers. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. We've got a special guest with me today. I've got Jesse, AKA, you would know them better as Britta Filter from season 12 of Drag Race. Um, Jesse, I apologize if that whole thing has taken over your whole identity, but um, obviously it's a big way that people have gotten to know you. Yeah, no, of course. Listen, I'm so used to it. It's fine. Honestly, someone calls me uh, Jesse or Britta or hey girl, I'm, I, I always turn around. <laughs> okay, great. Well, <laughs> listen, welcome and thank you so much for being on the show with me. Um, before we get into any of the details, I want to just, Jesse, I'm curious, like, how did you, you DM'd me, how did you find me? Like, how did that happen? I think I was just scrolling. You know, I'm a doom scroller. I get stuck <laughs> and I start scrolling and then I'm like, but usually it's to find political content and that could be beneficial towards our community mm. and uh, to also show off like what's going on on the other side and how idiotic they sound at times and they don't make any sense and what they're doing is, is horrible towards us and towards our community. Um, I'm the national co-chair of Drag Out the Vote, so it's really important for me to use my art and my activism of drag to really uh, engage people in the political process because I feel like I didn't get active in, in the political process until I was like in, in 2016 when that election happened. And so mm. it really like amped me. I got fired up when he got elected. Let me tell you, it's been quite the journey and I've had quite the political uh, adventure through drag um, because you're not going to ignore a, a seven foot tall man in a beautiful costume and a giant ass wig. As I've looked at your account, you're quite the activist. I was really impressed. And it's just like constant, continuous activism and representation. I was like, shoot, I'm taking notes. This is amazing. You're doing such great I work. Mean, you do. I, I, I find myself on your page just scrolling. You're, the way that you're candid with your stories and like, it's just so inspirational. As someone that grew up, I grew up Mormon. Yeah, born and raised Mormon. And so that was a... That's a very, I, I see a lot of similarities. <laughs> I noticed you were responding to some of my Christian rhetoric and you were like appreciating specifically some of the religious aspects of the things I was talking about, which was so intriguing to me. So I guess I want to ask, of like, as we get into it, like, what is your relationship with religion, Mormonism, maybe specifically, but maybe religion in general at this point in all the work that you're doing? There's definitely some good things that come with the, the Mormon faith, like family values is a big thing that I take away from it um, and that uh, my family also takes away from it. I mean, I, I left the church when I was very young um, and, but it, I came with a consequence because I decided when I was like uh, 13 years old that I wasn't gonna go to church anymore. My parents just recently got divorced. My mom wasn't practicing, but my dad still was and so, he said that if I wasn't going to go to church, then I wasn't allowed to come to his house anymore. I didn't have a relationship with my father for 19 years because wow. I chose not to go to church. So it really, it really suffered. And I knew that I was gay at a very young age too. And maybe I did my research. I knew that I didn't, I didn't believe in a lot of those things. And you know, none of this happened until my parents got a divorce. When my parents got a divorce, it was a shocking thing because I didn't know anything else beyond that. Like I, I knew the world one way and I was taught one way and I, and my mind kind of opened when they got a divorce because then 
new things were happening. And I was like questioning everything. That's such a young age to be doing that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm ahead of my time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, you must have like this, you know, assertive, strong-willed independence. To I mean, I can't imagine at 13 having like defecting from the religion I was raised within. That's so admirable and brave. Thank you. I mean, it, it was, I had, I had my mom's blessing while doing it, um, which was, which was nice. And, you know, my parents being separated, you know, I never really was close with my dad. My dad comes from the kingdom of Tonga in the South Pacific islands by like Tahiti, Fiji and Samoa. So, I mean, he was born and raised into this. He has very much that, that book of Mormon, like the musical on Broadway type story where, the Mormons come to an island, they take over, they end up telling them this is what's right, and then they just follow along. Um, and so it was that the, my dad was like hardcore in it and you couldn't tell him otherwise. And mm. I, I think it's not until, I think my baby sister like grew up and started telling him a lot of things that he started to sway different ways. I mean, he's still very Mormon, but he's like a Jack Mormon. He's gotten divorced three times, you know, they, they, they tend to kick you out of the church once that happens. And so, you know, we carry the family values still. In high school, I was in Oregon and I had a lot of Mormons at my school and they were all, most of them were so nice, like consistently, like good hearted, kind, genuine people. It was like, what is happening? Why are all the Mormons such great people? It's fascinating, you know? Yeah. Um, so Mormons, I mean, I always heard really strong opinions about Mormonism and how like exclusive and cult-like it could be or whatever. And so you're like, whoa, it was really intense. But then also the Mormons I knew were so nice. They were so sweet and genuine and like bright. And so it was like a weird presence in our school. I'm like, I don't know what to do with these people. They're not Christians. Ah. Right. So there's the religious war we had to like wrestle with. But I also liked all the Mormons that I knew. I was like, fascinating whatever they're doing something they've got nailed down and I think yeah the family values thing was such a prominent thing they were so wholesome and like yeah. consistent across the board with that because I was born in Guam and lived there until I was 10 oh and wow so, like I was raised in a you know Pacific Islander environment and the churches I went to you know were mostly brown people like tomorrow's and Filipinos and whatever but the pastors were always white and it was that same notion of like the missionaries came over and taught them the right ways and then the religious like fervor that the churches had was just like what they say is the truth and this is right and we're gonna do everything we can to align and I mean I just adopted that my parents did the same thing and so there's a little bit of like I relate to that I'm like oh I got I get what that was like and it, I'm starting to think about that a little differently in this moment real time so I'm gonna put that on the side for a second but yeah, yeah, yeah. fascinating so when it comes to you becoming a drag queen I'm curious like obviously you knew you were gay at a young age you stepped away from Mormonism those are obviously strong elements of your journey where did the drag thing come into play? I would always think growing up that like, I I loved performing the female part of things. Like I, I was always really effeminate and I always really wanted to be. Like my my hands would always like waft a certain way. And when I was like playing around with my sisters, I always wanted to sing the Jasmine part of part of your world. Like, <laughs> like, I want that part. It sounds better in my voice. I can do it better than you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or like we would get in the pool and I would not want to be Prince Eric. I would want to be Ursula. So like I always <laughs> had this <laughs> with like the hose. We would bring the hose into the pool and I'm like, I'm Ursula, guys. Let's play. <laughs> Amazing. I thought you were going to say Ariel. No, no. I chose Ursula, baby. You know, I always had like this, this feeling inside of me. And I know that at a very young age, 
um, it was like very it was suppressed in me. Like I, I, I remember at once I was like sitting a certain way at my, with my, when my dad was watching us and he said, don't sit that way. And it still sticks with me to this day. I, I remember being very young and I was like, why, why does it matter if I fucking sit this way? Um, let me just sit this way. Um, and he ended up like, I, I was, I was abused a lot as a kid from my dad. And so it like was one of those, let me get the belt situations. Mm. And I was <laughs> to try and like force it into you somehow. But, you know, drag was, I, I always had this femininity about me and I feel I suppressed it for a very long time. And I, you know, I went to acting school and I was always told to be straight. Like I could play straight. So to do these straight roles and you're a bass baritone so you can cover your voice and try and sound a certain way and um, come off a certain way. But like, that's not, that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to be a feminine, to be proud of it. So drag is, is it, that's why I wanted to do drag. Mm -hmm. And I started playing with makeup. Um, and by the time I got out of college, I, I went to school for musical theater and um, I was an actor, I was touring in shows and I did a production of Rent um, as Tom Collins, which is like the love interest to the drag queen in the show. Uh, Angel and uh, my my counterpart was not a very good drag queen and I was like <laughs> I could do that but better <laughs> so I started playing with makeup when that started happening and um, online I started posting things and I actually got cast as a stepsister in um, a production of Cinderella uh, and the entire step family was going to be in in drag. And so I decided that I would do this and I would learn how to do drag. And that's kind of how my drag career took off. I came back to New York and I decided I was going to be Brita Filter. I was going to be anything but pure. And I was going to come up with, uh, uh, you know, a way to tell stories. Essentially in the beginning, they were fairy tales and tell their, their, their naughty side of these fairy tales. Um, so that's where Brita came up. And, you know, my first my first uh, performance was at Stonewall and everything was kind of history. Um, and I, I just started taking over and performing a bunch and then getting my own shows and then getting recognized and winning entertainer of the year for those shows. And then, you know, uh, performing on SNL with Katy Perry. And then it just, it got, it got very intense very quickly. And then I was on Drag Race. <laughs> Wow, cool. Wait, oh, so that's amazing. I have so many questions along that journey for you. That's so cool. Did you come up with Britta? I did. Originally, my name was going to be Roxy Cotton, like Oxycotton. Yeah. And my mom was like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> um, nothing with drugs. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. I went to this after hours party at the last day of our, our show. And I met this girl named Britta. <laughs> and I was like, Britta? That's like Britta Felder, that's so funny. Um, and so that's what that's this girl in Maine, uh, middle of nowhere, Maine, uh, had the name Britta, and so I I took it from her. <laughs> nice. Does she know that you're she's oh, she does, she does. I I ran I ran into her um uh once a few years ago and she was like, I'm the reason why you're named that. And I was like, work. That's awesome. Okay, wait, so you started experiencing positive feedback, success in the drag journey, like pretty early on, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, you know, coming from a musical theater background, like uh, it, it, it's always been my 
my passion to perform. And then once I started adding that uh, effeminate side that I suppressed for so long, I realized that I was really, really good at it. And like, I, I also like, I love, I love storytelling. And through my drag, I started adding um, very particular storytelling to my stories. And it was a way for me to express myself uh, differently. And, I, and, and you know, there was a time where I, I suddenly realized, I was like, wow, this is truly what you were meant to do. You were meant to be a drag queen. Like you're, you're very good at this. Um, and, and you really touch people uh, and, and, and make sure that people are, feel a certain way because the, everyone goes to these bars hoping for, I don't know, something. And to make them feel good on a shitty day is, is really, you know, warms my heart. It seems like that seems to be a theme with all the drag queens I've talked to is there's just like a driving unifying motive of wanting to like lift people up, entertain them, inspire them, kind of lift the burden off of them. It seems like a pretty universal motivator. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely say so. I mean, I, I know that why I go to a drag show is because I want to be uplifted and I, you know, it's so funny at my, my Sunday drag show, I say, you know, some people go to church, but some people come to a drag show. Um, and some people come to like be uplifted and to feel that certain way and to, and to get that, that love and that energy from a community as well. Like I know that the reason why I really started doing it is because being a person of color, being someone that wasn't like a physically built, like a, a six pack and going into a bar and house kitchen and, you know, not feeling welcome. I wanted to make sure that every single person that came to my show was welcomed and that this was like a safe space for you to be safely whoever you want to be in this moment, whether you're straight, gay, whatever. Um, and to to create that atmosphere is a very, very special environment. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, at a lot of other drag shows, some people might get feel a certain way where the drag queen doesn't necessarily know how to make you feel special but it's it's important for me to create that environment because we are all experiencing something together and we all come from a similar a similar story almost being gay yeah. lesbian yeah. queer totally at some point you're dancing on snl with katie perry yeah what was that like it was it was cool um she she hired me as one of her um back up dancers for her for two of her songs it's right when she premiered swish swish and okay. i was like uh a, a drag queen on the runway with her it was great it was amazing to work with her um you know i did experience some like negative vibes from migos um because they did the song with her initially and they cut a bunch of people from the song but i stayed in all the glory and represented um all the uh to drag queens out there cool that's yeah there's always you know in any industry you've got all this stuff you got to navigate i'm like man what does it take to like be in those spaces and hold it you know like at some point you ended up on drag race yeah season 12 which was we filmed it in 2000 the summer of 2019 i want to know like how did that happen did you apply did they seek you out like how did you end up there oh yeah it's a whole process they like keep tabs on people throughout the years and what they're doing i ended up winning all these awards in new york city and um i, I actually was on a tv show before drag race called shade queens of nyc which was it filmed 12 episodes of my day-to-day -day life as a drag queen in new york city um and i loved it because i was also like a producer and in charge of my story which was beautiful unlike drag race um <laughs> hi 
quick little commercial break. Over here in my world, there was a phrase that came up out of my work and my writing that felt like it encapsulated exactly what I was trying to say to my evangelical background as a queer person, and it was that I matter more than your theology. So we made a sticker so people in the world could have this phrase in their life too, specifically queer people, right? But we also made an ally sticker. You matter more than my theology. Um, so we're selling these stickers and 100% of the proceeds go to funding either coaching or mentorship groups or facilitated conversations with queer people who are particularly recovering from religious trauma and evangelical backgrounds. So if you want to buy one of these stickers, you're helping us do that, provide either discounts or full-on scholarships for queer people to get access to our services because sometimes finances are a barrier and I still need to be able to pay my team. So this helps us find a way around that. And then also people were requesting a shirt. Guess what? We made a shirt! Look at this shirt, you matter more than my theology! So these shirts are just now available. If you want to go check those out, um, the link in my bio, those are linked below this episode as well to find those. Fund our work, we appreciate it. It was kind of the next thing in, in my wheelhouse. Like I've already done a bunch of things and like the next career step in order to make more money would be to go on an international platform. So I was very grateful to do that. And I auditioned, the audition tape is one of the most insane things I have ever done in my entire life because you have to show 23 looks. Um, you have to do like three acting challenges, two performances of lip syncing that are very specific. They tell you what they want to see all in a span of 20 minutes. And to be like, this is me. Um, you know, put me on. And so I, I did all of that and thank God I only did it once. And I, I ended up getting on the show. Um, and I was the first uh, Polynesian queen to ever be on the show. So it was, it was really beautiful to, to, to get that. And it was actually during world pride that I found out here in New York. So it was, it was very, uh, very stressful, um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to get that all together and I, I had three weeks to get everything together for the show and then I left and I filmed it and then um, I came back and you know leading up to it I knew that there were certain things that like happened and I was unsure and I I also went into it very I, I had a lot of untreated mental health issues really severe depression you know in the drag world a lot of people um, tend to use substance and to uh, use a lot of alcohol and drugs to try and cope with a lot of things that are going on. And, you know, during Drag Race, I was really, really, really anxious and very depressed. And um, I had to, I immediately found a a therapist when I got back home um, to try and work through those things. But it, it ended up being a longer journey of figuring that out. Drag Race ended up happening during uh, my season aired uh, two episodes, the first and the second. And then the third episode was when we all went into lockdown for the pandemic. Like I was planning on going on a world tour and making all this money that I spent on the show back so I could, you know, pay things back. And all of that got canceled. And and I actually, I have a lot of uh, pre-existing conditions. So I went to my parents' house in Maine and I stayed in Maine for for three months and I didn't bring any drag with me. And it was it was really hard and I was by myself and I got a lot of hate on my season for being a person of color, for I guess for acting a certain way towards someone else, but then later apologizing. And, and it was because I was under a lot of stress and my anxiety was going untreated. And you know, I didn't know myself then and it hurt a lot. And I even tried to like harm myself once that summer because I would get it in certain, 
certain languages, people, I would know when it came out in a different country because certain people would start saying the same thing in different languages. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, here we go again. This is resurfacing again. All these people hate me. I mean, I, it was so bad that I was getting death threats. Like I was getting uh, a thousand messages a week of people telling me to go kill myself. Yeah, it was, it was bad. Yeah, that's a lot. That's crazy. I'm, I'm very grateful for the platform that they, they've given me. Um, it, it's, it's also amazing because I have been able to turn that platform around and to use it for educating others and also making things aware. I've also been very open about my experience because I think it's important to be open mm -hmm. about it. I, yeah. I, I know that it's something similar that I, I read that, that you've gotten, you get also some hateful messages at times and, <laughs> yeah. and, but like to see on, on, like I've, I've gotten things, but to also see the, the love and the, the strength from other people and individuals and people that you've inspired. And the reason, I mean, that's what helps me keep going truly instead of all this, this negativity that's thrown at me. And, you know, I have to put it in a different perspective and like, think about like, what is, what is this person that's doing this going through? Like, what are they going through that? Why are they hurting so much that they have to do this to me? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. So yeah, there's been a lot of lessons. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then some of them just like, you know, broadcast internationally. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like while you're learning them. Yeah. Right. I know. And it was very, it was, I mean, it's very difficult. It, it actually, it's taken me like three and a half years probably till this point now um, to, to really understand it all and to figure it all up. I mean, I, I've been in the, the psych ward. I've been in like having to like, you know, with mental health issues and when they're pretty severe, switching up medicine and finding the right medicine for you and the whole like side effect thing that goes with that and like it not working for three weeks and like then it suddenly works. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a hard battle and I I my sister also is uh has some mental health issues and um she to see her go through that and then for me to go through it and to understand it now like I didn't understand what was going on knowing that it's it's okay while we're on that subject I would love to give you an opportunity to respond to this before the comments come in often bigoted religious people who are anti-queer will hear someone like you say something like that and say, oh, see, that's the result of sin. That's like evidence that you shouldn't be gay. You shouldn't be a drag queen. I, would you care to speak to that whole like stream of consciousness, that rhetoric, people who think, oh, honey, you have those problems because you're a drag queen or because you're gay or because you're in the queer community. Would you care to like respond to that rhetoric? You know, it's funny. It's the, it's the queer community that got me out of, out of that, out of that, those those hateful comments um and those 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 awful things it's the queer community that was there for me when i when i needed a shoulder to lean on i mean when i the thing that got me out of it is that i started giving back to the community even harder during that point because i needed a sense of community so me by rallying around all this um you know, it was, a, it was an election year that that came out. So it was a presidential election year. And so I really wrapped my head around. And it's when I was essentially the, the national co-chair of Drag Out the Votes. And I really focused on the election. And because at that time, one out of five LGBTQ plus individuals were not registered to vote, um, which was wild to me. And I was like, what? And so by <laughs> rallying around these, these, in, these individuals and, uh, and people with my community and telling them how important it is to be a part of the political process and 
um, throwing text banks over Zoom and having these beautiful, you know, I was performing over Zoom as people were texting people to try and get, uh, you know, the votes uh, and get people registered and, and all these things. It was my community online that really helped me to, 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 to get over this. And, mm. and whenever I, 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 you know, am feeling a certain way, it's always the queer people and the people who have listened to my story. I, I think it's a lot mm. because people just didn't understand what I was going through. Um, and, you know, I think I was also, I was also supposed to go through this. I think it was definitely a life lesson for me. I mean, I, I am, I, it's, I, you know, just you asking that question alone, this is, this is why this is happening to you because you're sinning. Like that is so silly to me that anyone would think that that's the reason. I mean, we all live our lives uh, differently, yes. But like to say that well, I, I didn't do anything wrong. I have not done anything wrong. And it's, it's funny that people think that I have. I mean, I think often the people who think this probably don't say it directly to people like us. I've heard it and especially heard it hearsay. But I was also, I remember being in the Christian world because I was in the evangelical world until I was 32. So like, that's not that long ago. That attitude and idea is just so easily passing or passed around because the worldview that Christians have is like there are demons and there's this devil running around like, causing people to do these things and the things they're doing is everything Christians don't like or don't agree with right so if you're a drag queen or if you're queer in any way or whatever it's demonic that this is happening it's demons that have compelled you to go this way right that's the in just the baseline lens that people like us are perceived through from that community yeah um, and so when you exhibit any kind of negative traits right or symptoms then oh that's proof that it's demonic like you're having mental health issues because demons that's what happens like demons are tormenting you is like how that rhetoric plays out i mean i don't really argue with people who think that way anymore the fundamental baseline worldview differences that we have are so drastic that it's like we have to address some other pre-existing assumptions before this even sure gets addressed because if those things get addressed this thing actually goes away so for people like us it doesn't make any, it, it, I have the same response. That makes no sense. That's so asinine and irrelevant and absurd. It's like fantastical. You're making this up. It's not real. But for them, for them, it is real, you know, like, and we're scary. And so I don't argue with them. My response is like, hey, um, you might want to just get a little more educated about the Bible and about the world and how these things actually work and how you're interpreting this stuff. Ultimately, my response is, yeah, fundamentally, our worldviews are so different and yours are informed by ancient beliefs that have been debunked by science and all kinds of advances in culture and society and whatever it's actually not relevant anymore and you're continuing to shove it into the modern world because of your worship of a text from thousands of years ago yeah and we just get to leave it at that right it's kind of how i would respond on it yeah i mean i i also think that i was meant to go through this like i i i think that like uh I was meant to go through it to be a stronger man to get i've gotten a lot of lessons out of it a lot of lessons and I'm a much stronger individual. And I, I think it just makes me honestly a, a, a better human being and, and, a, and a better Christian when, when faced with these, these things, I mean, my, my immediate reaction could be to like, go out and hate these individuals and hold such a grudge against them. But, uh, you know, it's, it's taught me a lot of empathy towards people. Um, 
and and because of them not know understanding where I come from, I put it on that same lens of like me not understanding where you're you're coming from and what your story is, and you're probably really hurting a lot to to have done that because I know that in in my time when I when I probably did something on TV that I shouldn't have done, I was I was hurting a lot inside. And I tried to explain that to people. Um, and you know, people can hold a grudge against me, but like, I didn't, I didn't do anything directly to you. And that person that I did something to, it was a conversation that like happened immediately, and you like sweep it under the rug. Oh, you're making me want to go see season twelve already. Oh, it's <laughs> it's good. I like to think it's the best season out of the entire franchise. I heard you identify as Christian. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's my that I. It's just kind of what I. I'm very spiritual. Like, if I could put something on it, it would be spiritual. Do I have a Bible? Yes. Um, I don't have a Book of Mormon. Well, actually, I think I might just for like reference points. Um, but uh. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, specifically have, I, I grew up in the Christian faith. I don't know anything else other than the, that, really. I mean, my grandma was like Pentecostal. So like, I, I went with my grandma to church. And I mean, that was a different side. And I was like, whoa, this is wild. What is this, grandma? Um, so I mean, and my mom grew up Catholic. So like, I mean, there's a long line of, of, of Christianity and um, the stories and things that as a family, we celebrate the, the Christian holidays. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I find myself more spiritual these days, you know, uh, putting, uh, I, I had like a God complex for a while and had to like try and find my God as like how, how I feel who that person is. Um, because when I, when I, when I say God, it, it, to me, I put it in such this like text when I was a child, when I was supposed to think of him as this big, mighty and individual. And, and now I being more spiritual, I, I think he's around me all the time. And he's more of a, a companion to me, as opposed to this like giant force that will smite down on me. Um, and it, it's it's taken me a long time to to realize that and to realize that he's always with me. So your family, I'm curious, how did they respond to you when you started not just being gay, but like being in drag? How, how was that initial reception? I decided to start doing drag before it got so mainstream. When I decided to, this was in 2014, okay. um, and my parents, my mom didn't understand what it was. She said, you would be an ugly drag queen. And I thought, think that she meant that it would be me being, she didn't understand what a drag queen was. She didn't realize that what a drag queen is is someone that specifically dresses up for entertainment purposes only and performs and makes people happy and whatnot. Um, mm. And she thought I was, she thought I was a, I want, I was turning trans and I was gonna oh, be a okay. trans woman and I wanted to live my life as that. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not what it is. Um, and so you, I've had to kind of come out a second time of being like, not only do I enjoy sleeping with men, I'm gonna dress up like a woman. And by woman, I mean uh, a clown. Um, <laughs> I look like a clown, which is great. I love it. My dad had a little bit of a harder time with it. We really didn't talk about it. I mean, it took me being on TV quite a bit for him to realize. Also, he didn't fully accept it until my stepmom passed away, his wife passed away because she was very supportive and very like, 
You need to go see his shows. You need to love him. He's the only one you've got. He's very special. Look at him. He needs to do my makeup. Um, so I, when she passed away, I think he got a lot of what she said and started to make sense of it. Um, he's, he's very proud of me. Uh, he saw me perform for the first time. I headlined Kona Pride in Hawaii and he came and saw me do drag for the first time with my family, my my Mormon family. And it was it was really beautiful. That's awesome. I love that. Your family is all like supportive and on board. Oh yeah, they they love it. They're obsessed. I mean, <laughs> even the distant family are like, oh my God, I want them to do my makeup. From your ex like vast experience of being in the drag world and especially doing the activism that you do, what is something that you wish people who are unfamiliar with drag culture and drag queens, what's some things you wish they would understand that you feel like kind of are misunderstood as it's becoming a more talked about like national conversation around drag queens? Is there anything you'd care to like confront or, or address in that conversation? Yeah, I mean, all this, this stuff about drag queens being groomers and whatnot it's it's so silly to me because we're truly just here to entertain people i mean it, it just like you know people also say drag is not for kids i mean i don't specifically do any kid specific shows i know that if i do a brunch and then like all ages will be there yes i will not do the material that i'm going to do at 3 a.m on a friday it's very similar to going to the movies like there are so many different movies available to you and you're not going to take your kid to a rated r movie you'll take them to a kid's movie and it's just as similar as like going to disneyland and seeing cinderella dressed up or seeing uh, usually peter pan is played by a girl it's just so funny to me that people are are making this such a big deal because drag queens are truly here just to just to make people happy. I, I haven't met a drag queen that isn't. To me, it's it's very silly. And I think people are just following this rhetoric because they're hearing it said a lot from other people and it's just spreading like wildfire saying we need to keep our kids away from drag queens. I mean, a parent has to take a child to a drag show. A kid doesn't wake up and be like, uh, today I'm gonna go see a drag show. Like, let it be the parents' discretion. We're truly just entertaining. There's nothing to it. There are way too many drag queens out there anyways. I don't want anyone else to become a drag queen. <laughs> I'm trying to collect them and have them join my team. Ever since RuPaul's Drag Race came on, there have been, everyone wants to do drag now and I'm over it. I'm not trying to collect them and have them join my team. <laughs> no. What's your favorite part of drag for you personally? performing yeah like being on stage my, my favorite thing in the world i love performing i also love collaboration i love creating these giant production numbers i did a telling of the little mermaid but the adult version with a bunch of drag queens and dancers and whatnot and special effects and cool stuff like that but wow. you know as a kid i always imagined that i i really wanted to use pop music and pop culture to tell stories and specific reference, references and, and to get people, because I loved musical theater so much, but musical theater was such a specific niche. Like I was a kid that you had to bring in one song to the music class on in the third grade and everyone brought No Doubt and Corn and I decided to bring Cats the Musical. Like <laughs> I enjoy collaboration and working with different artists to come up with a, a grander, spectacle that has a great lesson behind it so yeah i'm working on a couple of things right now i'm, I'm writing a play 
And it's kind of telling my, my story through my lens of going on Drag Race and experiencing all this different stuff and overcoming it and seeing what's on the other side. What is it about performing that you love so much? I love storytelling and I love being able to show that story on this, this body that has been given to me. You know, something that I'm known for is I don't have to move an inch. I can stand on that stage and do a ballad and I can take you on a, on a damn journey. To tell a story specifically like that and to have someone be moved by it, to me is, is really powerful. Do you ever like sing with your own voice when you're performing or is it always lip syncing or? You know, that's funny. I, I haven't, I haven't since I started drag because when I started, it was all about the illusion and it was all about like, I, I have a very bassy baritone voice and, um, but it's actually changing on this Friday. I'm singing off Broadway with like my childhood Broadway idol um, in full drag. You're asking the right question on the right week because I'm about to, I'm about to like do my fear. It's also, I think it's scary to, I, I've always just been so afraid. I have, you know, I was so afraid of my femininity and I feel like it goes back and forth. And now I'm afraid of this masculine side of me that I need to try and embrace more because I think it will probably enhance my drag. Are you saying your singing voice is more masculine? Oh, it's very masculine, baby. I sound like I'm I'm giving you South Pacific lead baritone. Wow. wow. <laughs> She's classically trained. Wow, cool. Yeah. Man, you what a journey you've been on. Yeah. What are some of the bigger lessons you feel like you've taken away that you're like, man, I wish people knew this, or I wish I would have known this earlier, or here's what I've learned. What are some of those takeaways for you? Always ask the question. I've realized that I've, I've been afraid for so long. It's taken me this, this long to, I mean, now there's drag queens that like are starting at a very young age. There's drag queens that are winning drag race at 21 years old. At 21 years old, I, I didn't know who I was. Um, and it was because I was afraid to take chances. It took me a long time. I had to talk myself off uh, up a lot in order to become the person that I am now. And so I, I would say to people to not be afraid. Always ask the question, what's the worst that someone can say? No, usually people are out there and they, they want to be able to help other individuals and other people. And they want people to succeed. Um, and I was always afraid of asking the question. And lately I, I started reminding myself and started asking people the questions of what I think I deserve. And people have been saying yes lately. And I was like, wait, and it's, it's how I got this little off-Broadway thing is because I asked a question and they said, yes, of course you could perform with your, your idol since you were 12. Don't be afraid. It's a lot easier said than done. But the year that I started drag, I did something every single day that I was afraid of. And it's how I ended up to be as successful as I was. Um, and I stopped doing that for a long time. And I've, I've recently had to come back to doing that because it just makes me a, a stronger person and it shows me who I really am when it comes down to it. So when you say ask the question for people who like maybe don't know exactly what you mean, can you be more explicit about what you mean by that? If you want something in life, let's say for this thing that I wanted, I was like, oh God, I, I see that this performer is asking all these different celebrities to perform with them. And uh, I was like, but I could totally do that. And I love this person. I was like, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna ask out of nowhere. I'm gonna ask and ask and you shall receive. 
is kind of is kind of what what my mentality behind it is. Like normally I wouldn't be like, no, I would talk myself down and be like, no, you don't deserve that. You're not worth it. And when I asked, they were like, oh, absolutely. We would love to have you. And I was, and it's a moment of like, I essentially manifested it into my life. Right. Love it. That's awesome. Okay. Before we land this plane, I want to ask like, what are ways people can get plugged into your world? What are you doing? What should they know about as far as Brita filter is concerned and things they should like connect to? Tell us all the things. Pride month is coming. So it's like how Santa Claus is during Christmas is how a drag <laughs> is during Pride. Um, so I'm I'm honestly everywhere, all over New York City. If you want to find me on social media um, or anything, it's at the Brita filter. If you want to keep up with what I'm doing, you can go to my website. It's thebritafilter.com. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm riding a lot right now and creating. It's gala season, so I'm doing a bunch of these LGBTQ gala events um, and hosting them and performing. So it's, you know, a, a lot of giving back to the community. And I'm trying to get all these drag queen tours that are going nationwide across the country. I'm trying to uh, set up a system where they have people who will register all those people at these drag shows, all these young individuals, register them to vote. So I'm working with Field Team Six and this giant initiative to try and get people to be registered all over the country because we need it and it's very important. So that's that's what I'm doing. I love it. Thank you for doing that. We do need that. Yes, Amazing. because it all starts at the local level. I mean, even though it's a local election this year, this is why this all this anti-drag legislation is happening, is because people said that nothing, it doesn't matter to not vote at the local level, baby. Look at what's happening. It trickles its way away on up. So I hope that people are getting mad and they're getting fired up to vote. But also, like, if you want to run for an office within your city or a city council member, like, it truly, the change starts with all of us. Yes, Everyone go follow the Brita Filter. Go get involved. Go check them out wherever they yeah. are in the country. <laughs> Jesse, thanks for doing this interview with me. It's so great to like connect with you at least at this level. And I'm so excited about what you're doing in the world. Thank you for the activism you're bringing to the table. Thank you. And I, I love following you. If you're ever in New York City, please let me know. We have to hang out. I might need to come to New York. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll see you on Instagram. Everyone, thanks for being here as always. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Thanks for watching. I am a consultant slash coach, so I don't know if everyone knows that, but I offer services to help support people, especially queer people, working through their theology, their Christian background, their evangelical upbringing. Um, it's kind of my specialty, so I want to make sure you know about that. Uh, I also have other coaches who work with me and work with my clients as well, so if you need support in that area, we are available. And then also we've got groups, um, facilitated mentorship groups where conversation and community gets built, making our way forward. So if you're interested in any of that, there's a link below this episode. It's the first link. You can click on that for more information. Thanks for being here. See you next time. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to dive deeper, check out MikeMayaShiro.com.